0: Um, we find a lot of usefulness to actually put together the business model canvas. So this is, this is the work of Alex Osterwalder uh, and the EXO canvas. And the business model canvas gives you the foundations of a sustainable business, just like you're saying. And then the EXO canvas then helps you to, to do it in a scalable way and actually create something that scales very fast. So the whole premise mm. of exponential organizations is that you can scale businesses as fast as you can scale technology and software.
1: Welcome to the Exponential Organization podcast. I'm your host, Lance Petler. Now, the world is changing at such a fast rate that companies need to continually innovate and grow exponentially to keep up. And that's what this podcast is all about, is to introduce you to the principles of exponential growth and how you can adopt them into your business. This show is sponsored by my company, IdeaStorm, which is a leading exponential growth consultancy that can provide services ranging from an hour advisory call with a network of over 2,500 consultants worldwide through to the 10-week EXO Sprint. So please go to my website, www.ideastorm.co.za, to find out more. So today, I'm really lucky and we're lucky to have our guest as Yaroslav Dukopil. And Yurislav has 15 years of global innovation and leadership development experience, having worked with clients in over 30 countries. Now, during his career, he's designed and delivered close to 10,000 hours of programs, sessions, workshops, and interventions to corporates, entrepreneurial, public, and NGO clients. Uh, His clients appreciate his ability, and I appreciate it as well having done some certifications with him, to simplify and communicate complex information, his integrity, excellence, and commitment in delivering his work and his ability to create the right conditions for rapid personal and organizational change. So recently, Yaroslav has been involved in a suite of cultural change programs for a large global financial institution. And if that's still true, Yaroslav, you can talk about it now. But I know him as uh, part of OpenExo. And I've had quite a bit of involvement with him. So, Yurislav, thank you for joining us and welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Lance. Well, it's awesome to be here and thank you for the kind introduction. Looking forward to it.
1: Fantastic. Now, Yurislav, as we speak to you, people will find you've got an accent. Um, you're currently based in Spain. <laughs> uh, you've lived in the UK. But I'm really fascinated to know, you know where you were born, how you grew up, and how you progressed through that. That introduction to be in the place that you are today. I, mean, I wonder if you can give us a bit of a background to who you are and how you, how you grew
0: up. I'm happy, happy to do that. So um, my name is Jaroslav as you've mentioned and I'm actually originally from the Czech Republic. Um, I was born in Czechoslovakia at the time and um, actually this uh, in a few days on the 17th of November we have a third year of our Velvet Revolution which was a time when my country transitioned from the communist regime to um, to a democracy and a republic that it is now, so uh, it 's quite a special uh, special days for us uh, but I have actually lived in six different countries um, and I also love traveling so i 've traveled to over fifty um, um, i think i think I think actually South Africa was my fifty first country <laughs> sure. which was uh, which was this year um, well, I mean, maybe some key highlights, I, I was a, actually a swimmer when I was young, so from the age of uh, about 10 to 18, for eight years, I used to swim three hours a day, I was in the water, so it was quite a big center point <laughs> of my life, a competitive swimmer. Um, when I was 16, I won a scholarship to go study in the United States, and I studied at a, at a um, kind of quite a high-level high prestigious high school for one year. And that was quite a groundbreaking moment in my career because i was 16 i left my country left my friends and family um, back home and it was only a few years after the revolution so going to the united states was a big thing um kind of for us and i studied there for a year we actually had a deal that we could not come back for the whole year because we were supposed to have a full uh, culture immersion in another culture so like after half a year i started to have dreams in english and and it was quite a magical year and i think (laughs) In many ways, it it really determined, um, you know, the rest of my career and life because I've always, well, number one, I knew very good English, which was not common in my country at the time. Uh, but also, it kind of opened my eyes to the whole world and, and to what is possible. Um, and I think I've also picked up some healthy uh, habits from from being there, mm. such as that, you know, if you want to achieve something, you have to work hard for it, I think. In my country, some of my peers were sometimes a bit waiting that something's going to arrive in their life, <laughs> and uh, for me it was much more like, well, I have to make it happen, um, which I think is uh, it was great. So, I did that. I studied in my country. I, I have two master degrees: one in international trade and one in international management. It's Kind of a European degree, sponsored by uh, like one leading economic schools in every European country. Um, but actually, during my university, I got involved with um, uh, it's actually the world's largest youth-led organization. It's called ISAC, and I think ISAC is now in 120 countries, maybe 50,000 people, and their vision is uh, peace and fulfillment of humankind's potential. And it was a amazing group of young people that were. It was a really like a large, purpose-driven organization, and I was there um, four years as a volunteer besides my studies, and then two years full time. I led ISAC in the Czech Republic for a year. And then I um, was responsible for 18 countries in Central Eastern Europe. Mm. Um, and um, that was quite amazing. I was basically coaching 18 leadership teams. And um, I was part of a global team based out of Rotterdam. And we were, I think, uh, 22 people from 16 countries, just leading the organization for a year. So I could speak that about for a long time, but it was, uh, it was quite impactful um, for me. Um, and right afterwards, you know, because ISAC was oriented a lot on on working with people and kind of learning and development and leadership development was mostly around young people. But right after that, I I actually started my career as a leadership development consultant. Um, I was based out of London. I was working with a London based consultancy and then then I had my own uh, company for a while, Mm -hmm. essentially looking at the inner side of change. So a lot of the invisible things like values, principles, culture, um, you know, and mostly actually working and delivering programs for large organizations. Actually, the, the culture change programs you've mentioned, that was not a recent one. It was recent before I joined an EXO. When my LinkedIn profile was written, I actually recently updated it, but uh, it was kind of my previous large project before I joined uh, EXO. And it was literally a culture change program for 200,000 people, which was quite amazing. It was about 150 faculty globally. We were delivering uh, kind of uh, one, one day and two day workshops uh, to like a lot, a lot of people. Uh, it was quite a fascinating experience. Um, so I did that for kind of about 10 years and then I got interested in the idea of futurism. I actually kind of discovered people that are called futurists. I didn't know that that they exist before, but, uh, I was fascinated to the whole idea of, you know, what will the future be like and and mainly how we can make the future better, like how we can steer kind of, uh, where our world is going and, and have the future to be positive. Uh, at that time I came across Singularity University. Um, and I applied in 2012. I was selected and I studied the 10-week program. Uh, so I was actually in NASA, which was amazing because when I was young, I, I used to dream of being an astronaut and, and um, kind of reading science fiction. So being at, at NASA Ames was, uh, was great. And, and then I think, you know, I got the, the second half. So my first part of my career was about the inner side of change. And the second was about the outer. So uh, technologies, you know, how society is shaped by technologies of society is ch- shaped by businesses, entrepreneurs, startups—that that kind of whole part of the equation—and uh, it's been it's been very powerful. So I think I think to summarize, you know, what it led me to today um, is that um, I kind of believe our future is created by a combination of human and technological, so humanity and technology playing together, hopefully. Um, and I also I also think that uh, it is important. Actually, when I was reading Elon Musk's autobiography. Um, you know, he mentioned when he was really young, he, he kind of was asked, like, what, um, you know, what is it all about? And, and he was saying that, um, you know, when, when we ask questions, we can answer them. But actually, the quality of the kind of questions we are asking ourselves is very important. So actually, he mentioned, I think he was like 14 or something, that what he it was really important is to evolve people's consciousness, how we think and how we think about the world, because the wiser we will be, the wiser questions we will ask. And when we address them, the better the world will be. Uh, And that's actually something I I believe in as well. Um, So I I believe in in evolution of the way we think think and and kind of hopefully being wiser and wiser and also in the role of leadership. I think Mm. change and positive change is creating not by everyone, but it's created by by a few people who who lead others. Um, And I think today's leaders need that kind of support to be able to ask better questions and create better answers. So that's, that's kind of in a summary.
1: No, fantastic. And I saw you know from your LinkedIn profile that you started to work with ExoWorks. Was that from a, a, an introduction to Salim Ishmael? Or how did that come across? Come yeah, well I
0: met I met Salim in 2012 when I was at Singularity and we had a great encounter. We actually ran a session together in front of the the, the class, uh which was a lot of a lot of fun. But then uh, in 2016, uh you know, when he published the book, he called about hundred of us. To kind of put a seat of the community that today is two and a half thousand people mm. but it was about a hundred of us so i joined the community i went to the first event it was in toronto and then in 2017 i was working with exo works um, it was a very you know kind of small outlet at the time but running some amazing projects with uh with kind of clients all over the world most exo sprints and we actually did also some work with uh with accenture so um we were training their, their partners in using uh exo methodology which was interesting. So I did a lot of kind of training and developing the first certification programs. At the time, it was under EXO Works. Today, it's under OpenEXO. So that kind of evolved over time. And then 2018, 2019, I, I then with Francisco have stepped into OpenEXO more more fully.
1: And, and was that remotely, or were you working with EXO Works in America uh, at the time, or is it always no, an, always been... in Europe?
0: Yeah, it's been, well, I think at the time, I don't remember where I was, but I think I was in Europe, uh, but, but, um, but it's been always remote. I mean, the organizations have been always built remotely, just using the social technologies attribute out of the EXO model uh, very heavily. So a lot of Zoom, we've kind of lived in Zoom, all of us, for the last three, four years. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so, so it's been always very distributed. Although, you know, we had and we still have some in-person meetups, which are always great, but a lot of it happens online, yeah.
1: Absolutely. It's amazing how connected the world is. Um, so, then you joined OpenEXO and mm-hmm. you ran it for, uh, and you're still part of the, the management team there, uh, but you're involved in certifications now. Can you tell me, like, you know, how, what has your involvement been in the last year with OpenEXO?
0: Yeah, no, uh, happy to. I mean, uh, you know, it's still a young organization, so obviously, um, you know, people <laughs> people are shifting hats, and all of us wear multiple hats. So it's you know, the roles are kind of something that you put on your profile, but you, in reality, you do many, many different things just to make things work uh, and kind of evolve things. But my current focus actually is developing the training and certification programs, because the overall um, kind of, um, um, I guess, I guess the way we want to you know, our MPPs transform the world for a better future. And the way we want to do that is by building, building this amazing global community. Uh, as I said, we are now over 2,500 people in over 100 countries, but mainly by actually empowering them, giving them the tools that they need to bring EXO to their clients, to bring EXO to their countries, uh, and, you know, and other methodologies in the future. So um, you know, we see our, our role as more empowering them to do things rather than us doing things ourselves. And for that we need to develop the right tools and then to disseminate them through our training and certification programs so people can uh, bring them to their local environments. So uh, that's kind of what I'm working on at the moment, just uh, just designing and iterating and improving our uh, learning and certification programs.
1: Mm. And, and so the model consists of 11 attributes. I don't need to tell you that, but maybe the, the listener who's listening with the MTP and then ideas and scale and mm-hmm. you're obviously passionate about it. how, how do you? How do you see this working? Have you seen successes um, when you've used it with ExoWorks and, and OpenExo? Yeah. Well, I think,
0: I think it's, there's a few, a few things to mention here. I mean, the first one is that when the model was created, it was not um, you know, kind of an imaginary model. It was actually a descriptive model. So Salim and the team went around and analyzed quite a few organizations that were already succeeding. And they were mostly asking, what do people do that they are succeeding, rather than you know, kind of an aspirational model. So, you know, the model really works. And actually the book uh, itself uh, has almost reached, I think, half a million copies um, globally since it was published. So it's being read kind of all around. And we have so many different stories where uh, companies just like, People owning companies read the book and they go and apply it and like revolutionize their business and then you know create uh, much higher profits and kind of growing numbers and, and everything um, but also for example in our current uh, certification programs one of the assignments we are giving to people is to go and find five exos in their own country mm. and it's amazing you know number one how many people are surprised how cool companies they have in their own countries uh, but also it's amazing how much that is kind of uniformity and what are the recipes for success for companies and how many of them are applying the different attributes and how many of them are growing as a result. So uh, I think that's been kind of an ultimate validation of the model. It's just out there and it's being it's being used. Mm. Um, I think maybe the last thing to, to mention is that I think that, you know, the model is kind of a meta model. So um, it has elements in it that are in, in and kind of in, uh, you know, including other frameworks, like under the experimentation attributes, you would have Lean and Lean Startup. Um, Under dashboards, you have OKRs, which was popularized in Intel and then in Google and in other places. And autonomy, you have different frameworks for how to achieve more autonomy in organizations. So I think it's a good meta framework. And people usually, when, when consultants apply it with clients, they kind of say it's it's kind of a complete recipe that that you know in in five ten minutes you can actually step aside strategically look at your whole organization and then seeing whether you're doing the right things to actually adapt the disruption that is happening around you in your industry so
1: the xo model itself um it's it's interesting like i don't know if you attended the salim Mishmail um conversation yeah, about xo, XO yeah. organizations that failed and this this comes on you know, behind uh, Tony Saldana's why innovation fails. So it seems to have, the last two things seem to have been a bit negative. But where do you think the exponential model fits in? Because obviously you've got to have the basics of a company in place first. Like it's got to be profitable. You've got to have a product that actually adds value. And then does the, the exponential model fit into making that concept work and scale? Where do you think it fits into the whole you know, layers of a company and how it's structured.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's, it's very interesting. And, and, and by the way, you know, on the, on the topic of failure, I mean, it's hard these days to find like a sure proof recipe. I mean, it's such an alchemy, you know, when you look at any startups, there's always a combination of the offering, the timing, you know, luck, uh, and all, all these kind of other things. You know, I, I always find it amazing that I think Google was one of the 12 search engines at the time. And I think they had to go to like 300 meetings before they got funded. I mean, it's just incredible. Mm. Uh, You know, when you look at some of these things. But uh, I think to your question, um, we find a lot of usefulness to actually put together the business model canvas. So this is is the work of Alex Osterwalder uh, and the EXO canvas. And the business model canvas gives you the foundations of a sustainable business, just like you're saying. And then the EXO canvas then helps you to to do it in a scalable way and actually create something that scales very fast. So the whole premise Mm. of exponential organizations is that you can scale businesses as fast as you can scale technology and software. And to be able to do that, these are the 11 attributes that that you need to apply. That said, I'm not sure that I would necessarily, you know, I think think it's good to design them. Like when you're starting a company, for example, I think it's good to take both of them at the same time and design them together. Uh, I don't think I would probably say like just do a profitable business first and then try to scale it. Uh, I think it's good to combine them from the very beginning because some of the recipes from the EXO model can actually help you to get to a profitable business uh, quicker. Um, and maybe last comment on that though is, is I would also say is that uh, while I, I think it's very valuable to grow profitable businesses from day one, uh, there is also at you know at times significant investment needed up front. And there's actually quite a lot of businesses that only become profitable a bit later, um, um kind of over time. So those are some thoughts on your, your question. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um the immune system. Can I just ask you about this?
1: This is not in the script, so I might blindside you here. But um, the the exosprints and the ten week sprint in the immune system. Have you? How effective is that to overcoming the immune system to driving change within existing companies? Have you Have you seen it to work with within existing companies as well?
0: Yeah, So so actually, and this is actually quite I think um, a kind of one valuable point about the framework is that. Many companies today and many business leaders today hear from you know all the sides that they will be disrupted and you know they need to avoid beating Kodak and like all these kind of things and everybody kind of knows that and kind of accepts it by now. I think is people are getting sick of it a little bit. I think actually, but I think the question still that people have is: if I have an established company, what do I do? Like, where do I start? How do I actually? I get that disruption is coming, but I do have you know a current model. It seems to be working okay. I know that maybe in ten years it's not the right one. But how do i actually transition from where am i today especially you know if i have 50 60,000 employees and and you know their kind of livelihoods depend on, on on the company so if i'm a ceo what do i do how to transition mm. and we actually specifically tell companies don't try to change your company into something different or into an exponential organization overnight uh, because it's actually quite dangerous so there is a part of the immune system that is quite helpful because it kind of protects you know the old model uh, mm. uh, us as human beings we, we also have an immune system and uh, and sometimes it's quite helpful, right? It kills the viruses that are trying to disrupt us. So it is helpful. So there is a part of the immune system that is helpful. But when it becomes unhelpful, uh, it's maybe kind of this autoimmune disease, you know, when it starts to attack uh, the, the kind of seeds of powerful innovation, uh, just like happened in Kodak's case. Or, you know, I recently heard that um, Nokia actually had a smartphone three years before iPhone was released. It was a touchscreen phone and had, they had an idea for an app store as well. And it was scrapped, you know, it was a Nokia employee that had this idea and it was it was scrapped because it was too cannibalizing to Nokia's core business, which was, uh, you know, 60, 70 percent of the worldwide market mm. and then three years later, this iPhone was born and the rest is history. So um, I think it's very interesting how to kind of overcome the unhelpful parts of the immune system. And I think for this, the, this kind of structured framework works quite well. And I think it works for several reasons. One of them is that we do something at the beginning, which is called Awake, and we try to involve as much of the organization as possible. And essentially, it's to introduce people to the kind of world we are living in, the world of fourth industrial revolution, rapidly changing technologies, rapidly changing business models, customer expectations. And where people hear that in a concentrated form, you know, usually the cost of changing is bigger than cost of not changing. I mean, as human beings, we don't like to change that much. We like to keep things mm-hmm. as they are if we can. But actually, after they hear what's happening with the world, and after they hear so many examples of these things, what happens is that actually it switches. And the cost of not changing suddenly becomes bigger than cost of changing. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of like the bypass to the immune system. And we find that, that people are much more open to actually embrace new things, think about new things. And they get excited because they you know, the sprint, the way it's built is that they do the change. It's not us coming in and telling them what to do. Is we have coaches that guide them through a process, but they fill the process with content. Right? So we are putting there some content around the model and the methodology and the technologies and the new business models. But they do the research, they create initiatives, they test them with the market, they present them to the leadership and ultimately the company funds those initiatives at the end uh, of the sprint. So it's kind of a very powerful recipe to do that. And, and the second thing that makes it powerful is that we have two streams. The first stream is called the EXO Core. And essentially, they are not changing the business model. They are only enhancing it within the current business model. So you know, they are implementing a few attributes here and there. They are kind of saving costs. They are increasing revenues. That's, those are usually the outcomes. But they are not changing the core business. Therefore, they can keep their current strategic plans, their initiatives, what they want to do. They don't need to change everything overnight. And that gives them time and also believe in the methodology that then the second stream is called EXO Edge and they actually create disruptive innovation, but only at the edge of the current organization, outside of the union system, often under another brand, um, and you know, often completely separate. So by having this two-prone approach, they are actually able to do what they are already doing, just a bit better, right? That can buy them another five, 10 years, and then they can do something more radical, which eventually can represent the future of their industry on the edge. And we've run the process uh, now with over 20 organizations from large companies to, you know, multinationals to small companies, companies of 100 people. Uh, and uh, it's, been, it's been always creating a lot of energy, uh, a lot of enthusiasm, uh, and has brought some amazing results actually to, to clients. Uh,
1: so back to OpenEXO, the, the target this year, I believe, was 2,019 uh, members, and it's over 2,500. And, and the target for next year is 20,200 which means you're going to be very, very busy. <laughs> so mm-hmm. What what are your objectives, um, both for yourself and for OpenEXO? Can you give us an insight into what tw- 2020 um, looks for OpenEXO and for Euroslove?
0: Definitely. So, well, um, I think in relation to Open OpenEXO, uh, we are trying our best. Uh, it's not always easy, but we are trying our best to apply you know, the kind of things that we speak to companies to apply to ourselves. So we are consciously trying to remove any bottlenecks from our own business model to scalability. Um, Now, you know, usually in automation, it's important to do it first uh, yourself so you can learn everything and then you can automate it later. So we are now actually in a lot of our key processes. We are in a stage where we are actually uh, starting to scale uh, things that we've been doing internally. We are starting to scale them outwards. And over time, we actually even think that, that maybe the core uh, team will actually shrink and the community can kind of function by itself. You know, that's, that will be kind of the ultimate dream, almost like an uh, autonomous decentralized organization now. Um, but uh, but I, think, I think we are not there yet. But it is clear that with the numbers that you are citing and also with many other that we have in our plans, it's very important to find a way to scale ourselves. Uh, you know, much better than we are doing now. So that's, I think, an overall organizational priority. Um, and the second is is definitely our community. I mean, it's, it's probably probably the most special thing we have. I think the community is really amazing, the kind of people who are there. Uh, there is also a spirit of trust and generosity in the community. So as we scale it, you know, 10x, uh, we definitely don't want to lose that. So there is a bit of kind of cultural and DNA work that that we need to do to be able to keep uh, the amazing spirit, the kind of intangible part of the community that I think is uh, is quite amazing so that 's in relation to openX so for, for me personally, uh, besides kind of contributing to this that I have just mentioned, um, I also have two other areas so disruptive innovation and supporting organizations either to kind of work with their innovation teams or to um, yeah to to essentially adapt uh, what they do and to be able to uh, reinvent themselves and create future of their industry so that 's something I'm very passionate about whether I'm doing it through supporting others uh, through our training programs or, uh, or at times, you know, uh, I'm in conversations around this. I do speaking engagements, workshops, and, uh, and also a bit of coaching to, to some selected people. So uh, that's kind of one area. And the second that I'm uh, very passionate about is actually future of leadership. So uh, as you know, uh, through my um, career, I actually came originally from leadership and I, I kind of feel like this is where I'm going to go next as well because i am feeling a huge uh, gap in the market most of leadership development today in organizations and in the market is actually based on the past is looking at past successes and what's been done you know and some of the things i mean they are great things but they've been you know some of them been around for 15 20 years and i think there is a big gap for a, a new way to develop leaders and kind of uh, look at what future of leadership looks like um, and essentially uh, I, I call it like developing a, a new inner operating system for leaders, uh, and I'd like to combine that with a marketplace for apps, uh, so have kind of an underlying operating system, but then have actually build a community of practitioners that will write apps, and then supporting them to support leaders out there, uh, which is linking to some of the initial things I was saying in my first question. So mm-hmm. those three are my three priorities, and Open so Disruptive Innovation and Future of Leadership, um, and it's kind of combined with speaking engagements, workshops, and, and also some individual coaching.
1: Mm. And looking at the politicians around the world, I think um, leadership training could be a good idea. Uh, so I, I've got a, a young family. Um, my youngest is four and my oldest is seven. And they just started school. So in 12 years time, they will have finished school and the world will be completely different, I presume. How How do you see the world in five years time? Um, maybe two to five years time do you you see the world changing considerably or staying more or less the same as it is now
0: well i think it's an it's an excellent question and, and you know I, I want to i recently watch you know if you go on youtube and you google 1999 ad you will see a movie that was a prediction from 1967 um uh, kind of how people will live how the home how like a smart home would look like even though they didn't call it a smart home and it's fascinating, you know. Like they get many things right, but also many things wrong. So I just want to preface what I'm going to say is that it's quite hard these days to predict the future. Oh, definitely. I mean, even you know, uh, iPhone was 11 years ago, and I don't think nobody would have envisioned the, the day before it was announced. You know how the world will be changed. But, um, but I think uh, in general, I am, um, you know, I, I tend to be positive and hopeful about the future. But I'll maybe split your the answer to three kind of buckets. Uh, one of them is that. I think there are some big themes that I see emerging now, and I would hope that either we have addressed them or made a significant progress in them. So I think one big theme is actually dealing with the fourth industrial revolution and some of the negative externalities. Actually, when you study previous industrial revolutions, for example, the first one, at the beginning, you know, there were amazing progress, but also there were a lot of very negative things happening, and society needed to learn how to integrate them how to fix them you know how to put some uh, kind of uh, regulations of guidelines around them and I think We need to do something similar with the fourth industrial revolution So there are big questions around everything from biotechnology to artificial intelligence, you know, social media um, kind of technology companies and there is so many things to figure out but I, I think that uh, if history is any guide I think we'll be able to you know, keep the healthy things and maybe regulate out some of the unhealthy things. So I think this is something that's going to be a big topic over the next five years. And I would hope we have made a big progress uh, kind of five years from now. Mm. I think the second is uh, the whole area of, of sustainability and how to actually kind of clean up the mess we've created as a civilization on this planet. So there are some amazing concepts now emerging like circular economy and regenerative economy and actually companies realizing that Yes, we need to do things more responsibly and sustainably, but also we need to clean up what we've created. I mean, you know, our sea is full of microplastics and, you know, those things won't just go away if we switch to non-plastics. We just need to also clean up. But I also think that we have some good precedents, even on a much more scale. But for example, I used to live in the UK for several years and UK in the 50s, 60s was full of smog. It was unbreathable there. And this has been completely reversed. Uh, Also, many big cities have been completely able to clear rivers that run through them and everything. So I hope that we'll be able to organize ourselves on a global level and actually find um, innovative solutions to clean up and to uh, really kind of uh, fix some of the damage that we have done. And I think there are a lot of hopeful signs, there's a lot of innovation, and also a lot of, a lot of the new technologies are actually, there's a strong business case behind them as well. It's not just an idealistic thing, but there's also a strong business um, behind them. And on top of that, I think, um, I would hope that we would have a worldwide free internet uh, in five years. Uh, and I also think we need to do something with the way we govern ourselves. I think I think last you know few years are showing that it's not working very well, our, our kind of governance systems globally, and I think we need to look uh, into those topics. So I would hope that we would have made a significant advancement in those themes. Um, I also think that there are maybe some things that I think won't change that that fast. Um, I think we'll probably have an unequal rate of progress. Over time, um, we'll probably still have some criminals and bad actors in, in the world as we've always had. Uh, I think we'll unfortunately have some misunderstandings <laughs> between people and, and kind of how we speak to each other uh, and a certain degree of selfishness. I think I don't see those things being fixed in five years. I think it will probably take a bit longer. Um, but uh, but all of this, you know, Lance, maybe last thing to say here is that um, I think there are also some, I call them like X factors. You know, those are like, and there's nothing with the, with the TV show, but I think those are like factors that, if some of these kind of happen, it could actually change the whole game completely. And I cannot see if they will happen in the next five years. But if they do, I think it will be very, very different. So, um, free energy would be one such right. If we do discover, uh, you know, um, um, free energy somehow, um, or we design systems that are uh, free. I know that, you know, some companies are looking at, for example, trading solar energy and kind of decreasing the cost and everything. So I think there are possibilities, but. Free energy, I think, would be a game changer because the world is organized and on scarcity of energy. Uh, Artificial intelligence, the developments there are amazing in the last two, three years. So that could be a huge game changer for everything. Um, I would say uh, quantum computing as well. Uh, Discovering another life in the universe. I think it would change the whole game uh, if we discover another (laughs) sentient life um, uh, around us somewhere. And the last one, maybe, you know, uh, back to my original point, some kind of a consciousness revolution that we just all become spontaneously wiser um, and make better choices. I think those things would uh, radically change everything.
1: Mm. And uh, yeah, I was reading this week about next year, 2020, they're going to start selling 3D printed meat and chicken in the UK at restaurants. <laughs> uh, and you know, Tony Robbins and Peter Diamenti's, they they plan to do that to feed the extra billion people that are on the earth to actually, prints their own food through like centers that are going to be in the different cities. So there's such a lot of change. Um, Yaroslav, yeah. if people want to contact you, how's the best way of doing
0: it? Um, well, I have a website. So yaroslav.copal.com, And there are some contact information there, but uh, I am a heavy LinkedIn user. So uh, um, I am, I'm there daily. So the best one is probably just to drop me a message on LinkedIn if they can, uh, or just to, just to um, find my contact details on, on my website
1: absolutely yeah fantastic uh, i will put it on the show notes so people can can look up your linkedin address so Yerslav, thanks for joining and giving your, us your valuable time i really appreciate it and i'm sure i'm going to stay in t- touch with you for several years to come thank you very very great. much
0: great thank you thank you lance and greetings to everybody listening thank you for giving us your time
1: cool and i hope you the listener have enjoyed and found this podcast valuable if you'd like to chat about any of these concepts that we've raised, then please do. You can go to my website, www.ideastorm.ca.za, or you can email me at lance at So until the middle of the week when I release yet another podcast, um, see you then. Bye.